Welcome to the Access VFX podcast, pursuing inclusion, diversity, awareness, and opportunity in VFX, animation, and games industries. Hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, founder and director of Access VFX, bringing the visual effects, animation, and games industry together, working towards a shared goal to make our industry more diverse and inclusive by taking action rather than just talking about it. Hello, I'm Simon, founder and director of Access VFX, and welcome to season two, episode three of the Access VFX podcast. Each episode, we interview a different member of the VFX animation and games community and ask them a range of questions from the AVFX vault. Every week, we invite talented folks from the world of visual effects animation and games, including heavyweights or those just starting in the industry, and we ask them about their journey from humble beginnings, big breaks and learnings, through to shamelessly mining their brains for career advice and their thoughts on how we can create a more inclusive and diverse creative community. In this episode, I had the opportunity to interview Alwyn Hunt, co-founder of The Rookies, a platform to help digital artists get discovered without having to compete with the professionals for attention. We talked about the creative synergies between being a chef and a VFX artist, talked about building CG dragons and the importance of being creatively and artistically literate. We also talked about some exciting developments coming soon from The Rookies stable, so stay tuned for that. We very much hope you enjoy episode three of the Access VFX podcast. Hello and welcome to the Access VFX podcast. It's me, Simon Devereaux, and I'm joined today by an industry legend. He's got quite the career from positions at Animal Logic, NPC, Rising Sun Pictures. You can tell I've gone through his uh, LinkedIn profile. Dean Egg, Weta Digital, currently at Adobe, but we know him as co-founder of The Rookies, Please welcome all the way from Adelaide, Australia. It's Mr. Alwyn Hunt. Yay! <laughs> How are you, Simon? How are you doing, mate? You good? Yeah. It's been a little while since we connected, isn't it, Alwyn? Where is it? Yeah, we were just talking offline. It's been, I think last time we, well, actually, it was the first time that I'd actually met you was in Serbia when we were at the conference across there a couple of years ago. So I think we were, you know, even when we think back to, the sort of the speeches and the presentations we were giving across there, you know, it was it was always, you know, it was again, it was focused on helping people get into the, the VFX industry. Mm. So I'm really excited to be on your podcast and, and talk about what we're doing. Yeah. So what's new at the Rookies? I mean, how's the whole global pandemic lockdown world we live in affected the work you've been doing with, with the Rookies and what, what's, what's on the slate? Yeah, for us, it's kind of, you know, because we've always been online, it didn't really affect us too much. We were a bit worried with this year's Rookie Awards, just in terms of entries into the into the contest, because we you know we knew that students were were doing it tough with that transition period, uh, and you know we noticed there was definitely a dip in entries at the start of it, but but by the end of it, you know when we're sort of down to the last few weeks, you know the students had obviously got their home set up, and you know we actually managed to beat you know 2020 numbers so it was yeah we were quite shocked by that so you know we, we were we were absolutely stoked and you know happy that students had sort of got their their kit together and they were able to enter but after that you know we did our school rankings you know which always happens sort of around October and to be honest Simon you know we just we're looking ahead you know to 2022 now so we're already in the middle of organizing the rookie awards for 2022 and we've got you know a couple of new categories that you know that I can talk about that you know really excited to 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 be bringing as well yeah it's you know just 
full steam ahead, mate. It's just, uh, it never stops, you know, and we've got a few initiatives that are brewing below the surface, which we can touch on a little bit mm. later on. But yeah, it's just, just busy, mate. Cool, good, good. Well, we should, uh, let's get, we'll get into that later in the pod. We should probably start by opening the, the Access VFX vault and go through our, our set questions. So a regular listeners, listeners of to season two will know that we have a, uh, a set group of questions that we ask all of our guests. There's questions around you know, what we love about this industry and this community, a bit about your career path and, you know, how you've got to where, where you are now, Alan. And uh, we're going to get into kind of a conversation about, you know, what we can do more of an industry to make it more inclusive, more diverse and all kinds of good stuff. So we're going to dive straight into it, Alwyn. Where are you from? Where are you, di- where are you dialing in from currently? I'm dialing in from uh, South Australia. So for those people that haven't been to Australia before, I'm in a city called Adelaide. So people are probably familiar with Melbourne, Sydney, and, and possibly Brisbane. So Adelaide is the four, is it? It might be the fifth actually behind Perth, fifth largest city in Australia. You have a very uh, aspirational Instagram account, Owen. Yeah, we tend to, I tend oh, to, yeah. uh, like walking down the, along the beach with your kids and uh, it looks very, uh, yeah, living the dream. I was just going to say, yeah, because the beach is like, it's a block down that way. So, and the, yeah, so it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty nice option to have after school just to be able to take the kids down there when it's nice but yeah there's you're always wary of sharks <laughs> yeah exactly yeah be careful and, and spiders and snake all the all the all the australian archetypes of uh that's it yeah, terrifying beasts we always ask one of our guests can you give us three words that describe you so give us three killer killer words that describe alwyn hunt i think you know, and it was, this is a good question because I think, you know, like it changes as you get older as well, what those three words possibly are. Because I was like, you know, was I in my younger self and I probably would have said that I was quite shy and, you know, I was naive, but I was very honest. But when I, you know, now when I look at it, I'm, I've kind of, I've changed and I've matured and I've, you know, obviously traveled the world. And I feel like, you know, those, those um, you know, those words have slightly changed. So I, I would consider the three words that I would use today Loyal, unwavering, and motivated are probably the three that I would use today. Loyal, unwavering, motivated. I love that. In many ways, it's interesting, isn't it? You used to be uh, the lens of kind of, uh, you know, almost growing up from your formative years to where you are now. And you think about the work we respectively do, whether it's the rookies or Access VFX working with young people. And often we, that's where we all start, isn't it? You know, we start kind of quite naive. You know, we're, we're not particularly skilled in any way. And you enter an industry or you start learning a craft. I love the I love the word unwavering. We've not had that one yet. That's a great, great word. Can you tell us a bit about that? Why, why are you unwavering? Yeah, I think, you know, and I think it's, you know, I could, we could probably talk for hours, Simon, but I think if <laughs> I was to, to look back on, you know, where I sort of came from in the deep south of New Zealand, you know, growing up in that, mm. there wasn't a lot of opportunities. And I think there was, there was something even at a young age for me where I just knew I had to get out and actually try things and, and experience the world. And, you know, there was, there was that, you know, even, you know, as you know, I think you know, talked about it when we were in Serbia was, you know, I had a whole career that was in, in chefing and cooking, you know, before I even got into visual effects and I worked at a very high level, traveled overseas. And, and I think because I was so focused on becoming the best and, and, and I think, you know, that naivety growing up in country New Zealand and I had a really good sort of work ethic and I knew that if you work hard you would always achieve things and I think you know that that's where the word unwavering comes from so when I get focused on something you know I really that's I don't I don't deviate from that until I get there you know I think when I look at the rookies we've been going for for well over 10 years and you know as you probably know with access VFX as well 
you know, you go through cycles where you plateau and then all of a sudden, you know, you'll get your partner or something will happen and then it'll lift again. And I think that's what, you know, I love about, you know, the journey of some of these types of organizations is that it is the journey and you have to, you have to appreciate the journey, but you know, there's always something around the corner, which is even, and, and then when you get there, you're like, oh my goodness, we're here. Like, I didn't expect that. Now, how far can we go with this, you know? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great parallel with uh, our respective work, isn't it? The, uh, you just don't know where it's going to go. The, the analogy of the journey, I mean, having worked in various learning and development roles myself, we always talk about the learning journey or the, the, the dis- journey, journey of your discipline, your experiences. But yeah, you know, just seeing your, your baby, you know, you know, the rookies go from you know, what it was to what it is now. And like you say, things happen, elevate it or, you know, we've, you know, we've, had, we've had a challenging year with, with, with the pandemic where our bread and butter was events. Access fear effects, mm. wasn't it? It was all about getting out, whereas actually the rookies, you know, you you were almost kind of prepared and made for lockdown, weren't you? Because a lot of what I used, my experience with the rookies was always the stuff you put out online and it was it was globally accessible, you know. You know, so that's a whole conversation we, we could get into. But but yeah, is that is that a fair assumption? Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, we were actually looking at, you know, I think doing more live events as well, which is when yeah. you know the, the the actual COVID hit and the and it pushed us back but like fortunately you know like you mentioned we had a lot of stuff online so we just went back to what we knew and we just wanted to make that better I mean we love getting out and meeting people we love organizing you know events and stuff as well and and you know this we I think you know we talked offline Simon just there's things that you miss with that one-on-one personal connection you know this there's you know like there's just little things that you know signals and body language and stuff that you just don't get through zoom and, you know, I think the energy that you're able to, to give to somebody that is trying to get their foot in the door and just that little bit of motivation, you know, it changes, it changes people's lives, right? And sometimes you just don't get that sort of energy through, through the camera. Yeah, I completely agree. There's, yeah, I think there's been a lot of uh, potential of remote working. You know, we, we covered a lot on our podcast last year. But you just can't beat the that human connection. You know, it's, it's, it's what makes us what make literally makes us human. So yeah, completely agree. So thank you for that. Wow. So I asked you three three words that describe you, and we had a very rich conversation. This might be a very long episode. So what <laughs> what inspires you, Alwyn? What what gets you um, what gets your juices flowing? Yeah, to me, people. You know, mm. and when I say people, it's, it's people like you, Simon. You know that actually. Oh, do, do organizations like VFX and it's not, you know, people, when I say people, people, you know, it could be, you know, Elon Musk, but it's actually people that are, are more, to me, more real. You know, I think of people that are, you know, artists that are just at the top of their game that, you know, that I get inspired by. I think people that are actually building their own organizations and, you know, they have that story where they've sort of come from nothing and, and made mm-hmm. something, you know, like that to me is, is inspiring. I think cultures, different cultures inspire me. Like I love, I love traveling and, you know, what you sometimes think is important when you've, when you get out there and you're, you know, you're observing and, you know, your priorities change. And I think, um, yeah, people just never seem to stop fascinating me and, and yeah, people, people, that's what fascinates or inspires me. And uh, yeah, there's always a new stuff you can learn, isn't there? There's always a new perspective. There's always a different take, isn't there? And you, you only get through. Again, goes back to what you were saying earlier about human connection, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yep. I love that. So how, right, this is my, one of my favourite questions is, yeah, so whether you believe in extraterrestrials or not, you know, they, they land in Adelaide, they rock up on the beach, they give you a knock on the door, and they ask you to explain what you do. 
to ask, but essentially the question is explain what explain what you do for a living to an alien. Yeah, that's to an alien. Would I would say to them that you know I help people get into creative industries and help people understand us. I guess more focused three D industries. Love that. That's one of the most succinct answers we've had, Owen. So that's brilliant. I might, I might borrow I'm that. Just, for, uh... I'm just, I'm just hoping that they would speak English. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to assume that. Yeah, exactly. I've watched too many science fiction films where all the aliens speak English. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, what did you want to do? I mean, I know we've talked a bit about your formative years. I know you did. You were a chef for a bit. Worked in kind of the catering industry back in the day. But you know, what what did you want to be when you you grew up? What was the Remember what your early ambitions were? I mean, again, I think, you know, growing up in the deep south as a south, there wasn't a lot of opportunities, you know, and I think even when I was 17, I really did not have any idea what I wanted to do, to be honest. Like I was, I was struggling and I think, you know, I always loved sport and growing up, you know, you know, you always loved the All Blacks and rugby and stuff like that, even though they got beaten by Ireland in the weekend, but we won't bring that up, (laughs) you know. I think, you know, one of the one of the first sort of jobs where I went, okay, well, I'm going to actually try and go for that was to actually be a, a be a pilot, an Air Force pilot. And, you know, and then then sort of the then Top Gun come around and I was like, hell yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. <laughs> but then, it, then I realised quickly that it took a lot more brains than what I had to be actually be a pilot. You know, there was a lot of, you know, I think even the first hurdle I got to was like, you can't have any allergies. And I had, you know, hay fever or whatever oh, it was. Yeah. And that was same. That counted me out straight away. So I was like, oh, you know what? But yeah. And then I sort of, the whole cooking thing, I used to do a lot of cooking at home. And then, you know, during the holidays, I went to a town in New Zealand called Queenstown. And that's where I sort of started kitchen handing. And, you know, they threw me into a bit of a cooking role. And then they were like, oh, this guy's actually pretty good for somebody that's never studied before because I used to cook a lot at home. So, that's, that's how I sort of picked up the cooking career. What made you drop the cooking career for what you do now, out of interest? Haven't you watched Gordon Ramsay or Marco Pierre White or any of those crazy dudes? <laughs> yeah, true. Wasn't the hay no, fever. I think, <laughs> I think for me, you know, what I love, and, and you know, I think, you know, for me, what I loved about it was the creative aspect of it. And when I was at school, I really, I didn't pursue fighters. And, and, and to be honest, you know, this is when we look at what the rookies and what we're, some of those new initiatives that we're talking about, when we look at higher, you know, high school students and the way the, the, you know, education is kind of almost educating students out of create creative careers, right? So that's kind of what happened to me. I never thought there was an industry where I could actually be successful in and mm. I kind of like just put it, you know, put it aside. And then it wasn't until I got into food where I was actually being artistic on the plate and being able to do presentations that I that's where I, that's where the passion lay for me yeah. and I actually went on and specialized as a pastry chef and got into food sculpture and doing chocolate sculptures and pulled sugar and and all, and, and that was and that was that was that was my outlet but it was when you look at cooking as a profession it's very hard it's you know long hours it's very stressful it's it's you know, it's very anti-social in terms mm-hmm. of working when everyone else is on holiday, you know, so so for me, I sort of got to a point, you know, like I said, I was in London working at Michelin star restaurant and I'd sort of peaked in that career and I was like, is this what I want to do for the rest of my life, you know? Right. That's an incredible career change, isn't it? But I love the, that synergy between the, the high art and creativity that you, you had as a, as a chef. 
and, and, mm. and then applying that creativity to the world of kind of visual effects, animation and game, you know, it's, it's, it's a fascinating switch, but makes so much sense when you break it down yeah. like that. And the funny thing was I, that I used all those, you know, those food sculptures and stuff as a portfolio to then get into art school to start Amazing. that journey of visual. So it was, you know, everything leads to something else. Sometimes it's not completely obvious, but yeah, I use, I use that as a portfolio to get in. That's brilliant. I love that. Because again, sorry to kind of stay on this question, but I love the idea of being kind of just creatively and culturally literate, you know, and we always talk at careers events about, you know, if you're interested in photography or, you know, you, you know, you can paint like literally with a brush or you use kind of, you know, you know, physical art materials to create, you know, all of these different creative avenues are entirely relevant to a career in, in, in our industry. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, the big thing that you know when we look at what's going on in the industry now Simon you know there's there's a major focus being put back on those fundamentals and yeah. you know that's you know the kick the kickstart initiative that I was talking to you about is all about that it's it's yeah. actually bringing students and bringing a focus back into those fundamentals that uh, that will set you up for every industry later on in life yeah. right so it's extremely important I love that one. I'm, I'm very keen to come back to that that subject and uh, we'll hear more about Kickstart at the end of the session yeah. as well because it, it does sound cool. brilliant. So you've mentioned art school. What was what made you choose the, the college or, or uni or whatever your further education was in this area? What made you choose that particular establishment? Yeah, for me, I think, you know, when, because I'd moved to Sydney after, you know, leaving New Zealand and I'd gone, like I said, I'd gone to London, done that whole cooking career and then came back to Sydney. And then it was, you know, there was, it was sort of 3D was in its infancy. You know, there was only a couple of courses that were really being promoted or marketed in in Australia at the time. And I'd remember watching, it was, you know, just a a behind the scenes of ILM, you know, that, you know, I was just like, it blew my mind. And then I was like, seen this course that was being offered and it was on you know in William Street and as you head up to King's Cross in Sydney there there was a school that was starting out and I applied for that again I'd gone back so with my food portfolio I got into tradition you know art school fine arts so then I you know spent a couple of years doing you know photography sculpture painting and really again it comes back to your point really understanding those fundamentals and and you know because I'd missed out on then on school I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So using that, I then got into, you know, this uh, this uh, course, which was focused on CG and web developments. And I was, I was completely in over my head. Again, you know, like I hadn't, I didn't even know the inner workings of a computer back then. You know, I'd come from this cooking career, done a bit of art. I was like totally, totally weighing over my head. So, you know, I came out of that after, I think it was two and a half years, and you're supposed to, you know, like you do today, have a portfolio of work. You know, I didn't have any of that. You know, I remember thinking, well, I've just wasted, you know, X amount of dollars for the last couple of years and had nothing to show for it. And, you know, a lot of the, when I look back, a lot of those lecturers had the big manuals for Meyer or Max or whatever it was <laughs> and were, you know, literally going through the book and teaching us out of the book. And it was just, it was just, it was the timing of it. It wasn't right that, you know, the, the education wasn't great. So, it was a bit of a struggle after that. Yes, one of those reminds me of the the early VFX apprenticeships that we, we put in place in the UK, where the students ended up kind of almost teaching the tutors because it, the tutors were starting out at the same time as the as the, as right. the students. Yeah, you know, it's, exactly. it's an interesting one. Yeah, so you were at the inception or the early days of three D. 
Cool. No, thanks, Owen. That's a, that's a great answer. So leading on from that, and you've touched on it a little bit, but you know, what was your, what would you define as your kind of big break into the industry we now know as the VFX animation industry? You know, what was the, what was the big break? What was the moment? Yeah, I think the big break was getting the job at, you know, at Animal Logic. That was probably my big break. You know, that was when they had finished up on the Matrix. You know, it was, it wow. was a, it was a, you know, the Animal Logic had, you know, just secured, you know, Happy Feet. That was the first one. And back in the day, they had a division that was focused on TVCs. Like, like they did, you know, like when you think back in London in the old days with the mill, you know, they, they really forged their teeth in TVCs, you know, television commercials for people that don't know. So we had a fantastic team of 3D artists. You know, again, you know, I always felt like I was weighing over my head. There were so many talented people there. But again, you know, it was this the fast track of knowledge, you know, when you're working with a, a talented team that you were able to really learn quickly on the job. So that was kind of my big break. And I will give a shout out to, you know, Fuel, Fuel International, which were back in the day that no longer exists. But, um, you know, the guys there, Andrew Helen and, and, you know, a couple of the original founders, they, they gave me my break. You know, they were the ones that sort of believed in, and, and it was just through pure determination and because I'd been already been through one career that, you know, and, and you got to think about this as well. So I mean, this is back when there wasn't a huge amount of work. Like when we look yeah. at the, you know, the opportunities that surround young people today, and it's like, there's a tidal wave of opportunities, you know, not just in visual effects yeah. and games, but in all these other 3D, other industries that are now embracing 3D. So, you know, back then it was a bit of a struggle, but it was determination and not giving up that really, help get me in and just knowing that I'd been through that cycle of trying to get a job before. Yeah. Yeah. And again, the snaking of your career path to that point as well. It's such an interesting journey. Coming back to the journey. Yeah, exactly. I should re retitle the podcast, the journey of that. The journey. <laughs> the journey. Really deep. It'd, be, it'd be probably be Ricky's website there. Cause we've got the journey everywhere on that. Oh, really? oh okay. yeah. Patented and copyrighted. All right. <laughs> Loud and clear. So I mentioned in the intro at the start, so you spent a lot of time in industry, worked a lot of uh, you know, big name post-production visual effects studios. You know, what would you class as the, the favourite job, the favourite show that you worked on? Yeah, I think the favourite job, you know, when I actually would just to even go back to favourite job, like Chefing to me was one of my favourite, you know, like when I yeah. was, you know, at my peak and doing designs on cakes and all that sort of stuff, that was that was an amazing job because it was so rewarding when, yeah. you know, people, people actually seen your work, that physical work. And it was just like, that was the buzz. Right. So, you know, that, that was, that was extremely rewarding. I think when I look at shows, you know, for me, some of the, some of the sort of the earlier shows, like I actually had an amazing experience when I went across to LA to work on Alice in Wonderland again, because I sort of specialized in texturing and character texturing, I was, you know, able to to work on some of the bigger bigger assets, and I guess for me the pinnacle was was working at Weta Digital on at the Hobbit, working on on Schmorg the Dragon. You know, with um, with four other people, that was kind of the highlight of our career. Was just working on such an amazing, and I guess some, you know, like it was a it was a, a character that was really a lot of expectations before it actually hit the screen about what this dragon would look like. You know, so. There was a lot of pressure on us to make sure that we reached that level, you know, of what the, what the audience and what the, I guess, the, the, the hard, diehard fans were expecting. 
Yeah, I mean that was that was a movie that you know in terms of hype off the back of the original right. you know, Lord of the Rings trilogy and uh, that particular character. I mean, yeah. the pressure to get it right must have been insane. Oh, it was huge, and and, and just even by sheer scale and how you yeah. know we were sort of having to manage an asset that big, and because during that trilogy that thing aged as well, so we had to, we were working on that character for like you know almost two years solidly, you know where it was just you know, down to like the sort of the poor prints and the, you know, like it was just incredible the amount of detail that we stuck, you know, as you, as you know, you know, that you never ever saw on the, on the big screen, but you know, every, every detail was added. Nothing was overlooked. It's been a proud moment in the cinema. Have you, have your kids watched it? They have. Yeah. They, you know, it's like, you know, <laughs> I'm sure you've got, you're like, oh, I worked on that movie. And they're like, dad, you've told me that a hundred times yeah, already. Exactly. <laughs> I know. Look at what they were, a connection to that movie. That's awesome. So, yeah, the next question is, what, you know, the antithesis to the favourite job. What, what's the worst or most challenging kind of show or job that you've experienced? Ooh, tough one, man. They all go through their uh, ebbs and flows, you know. I think there's, yeah. there's, there's, there's tough, mo- high and low moments in, in every show. I think the worst show, well, if I go back to actually worst job, I'm going to even go back because... Because, you know, as a kid growing up, I did this milk run that I had to get out of bed like at 4.30 in the morning, every morning to do this milk run, you know, carrying the old glass bottles around off the back of a truck in the freezing winter of New Zealand. That was the hardest job I ever had to do, you know, before I went to school, before I went to school, right? Correct answer. There you go. (laughs) Correct answer. I love it. But carry on. What was the show-wise? Yes, I guess, you know, the worst show... uh, what would be the worst show? That would be, whew. you know, for me, I think, you know, when I look back, and it probably wasn't just technically challenging, was one, you know, one of the first jobs that I had when I first moved to London and I was lead texture artist on Narnia, you know, and there was okay. so many characters that were involved in that show. And, you know, we were sort of going through, I guess, you know, you know, that was back in the day when MPC were building out their, you know, their character yeah. and animal pipeline. And, and there was a lot of technology being built behind that. That was, that was very challenging, not only in, in an artistic sort of way, but also technically just dealing. I think that's when you, when you go into a company, sometimes it's, it's the tech behind it. And, you know, they're always trying to improve it and there's never an optimal moment to be updating a pipeline. And sometimes you can be at the you know receiving end of when that happens, and it's not always pleasant when you're in the middle of a show because there's all mm. these technical issues that happen. So as a as a you know as a lead as a lead artist, you're you're always problem solving, trying to make sure that things just keep moving through. But I think that was definitely one of the most challenging shows was just when that tech was being built and there was a new new, new pipeline being built at the same time. There's a lot. There's a lot of creatures in that film as well, right? I mean, all those films. It was a trilogy, wasn't it? I mean, that's a lot of yeah. uh, lot of yeah. fur. And lot. There was a lot of fur. Right? There was a <laughs> lot of two-legged minotaurs and minotaurs, or whatever you call them. And there was, yeah, there was, yeah, there's so many, so many characters on that show. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, I, I feel your pain there for sure. I'm like, I'm loving the uh, the theme of this pod, by the way, with the shows. I'm loving the actual, the actual jobs and the, the shows. So yeah, yeah. The, the Milk Run versus Narnia and uh, the Chefing right. versus yeah. uh, The Hobbit. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. I love it. So moving into shots. So this is more just a, a more of a fanboy question, really, is what's the best, in your opinion, VFX 
shot or piece of animation that you've ever seen like it's the yeah, yeah. you know what and that's a good question because i think you know i've been watching that arcane series have you seen that yet not yet no mate i tell you what like it it is one of the most beautifully uh mm. choreographed animation visual like it's an over like we were talking about june offline and how yeah. beautiful that was and seamless yeah, totally. the vfx um this this show is like nothing i've ever seen before and it's just you know, when I think about animation, I sort of think about, you know, Spider-Man, um, Spider-Verse, you know, and just yeah. that, I, I love that sort of squash and stretch and that, the animation on that, I, I could watch that, I've watched that several times and I just, you know, it's one of the ones that I say to my kids, do you want to watch that? Mm. Because it's just the animation is just yeah. is spectacular. But um, this Arcane series is, um, yeah, it's just very stylized. It's worth, well worth a watch. It's oh, on Netflix, it. yeah. Yeah, I've seen it pop up on my feed, um, and I'm intrigued. But yeah, I've not I've not got around to it yet, so I will off the back of that. Good yeah, it's a, it's, it's a partnership between Riot Games and a French studio, which I can't pronounce. I know it starts with F, but they've done an extraordinary job with it, and it's just yeah, really really beautiful. Love that, cool man. No, thank you. I love getting a recommendation off the back of a podcast, so I'm gonna gonna follow yeah. up on that. I'll let <laughs> you know. Mentioned. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So again, still in the kind of the uh, the, fa the fandom kind of uh, sphere, what show stands out as a masterclass in visual effects and animation? You know, what, what would you consider you know, stands out as the pinnacle of the art form for you? Yeah, having watched June without hesitation now, and obviously the, the poster yeah, the behind you know, yeah. shows that I am a bit of a fanboy of it, but um, yeah, that was that was spectacular, and you know, I think you know you would agree with that. It's and you know like when I think back to some of the, you know Paul Franklin and you know Inception, you know some of those mm. movies were kind of quite mind blowing as well, just in terms of you know the VFX as, yeah. as well as the cinematography and and camera shots on them. You know I think of think of think of shows like that, and yeah I think yeah that's that's again Kane is 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 up there as well. The yeah. character design it's pretty pretty special. Really? We're going to move to character design shortly, but yeah, I just wanted to kind of note that, you know, it's interesting just we've been talking about June because I literally went to see it yesterday with some friends and dialing into the podcast, you know, seeing that poster behind you, it's kind of, it's like it's weirdly meant to be, isn't it? Not, not the film, obviously, that's not nothing to do with us, but the uh, no. this particular podcast, <laughs> but I would agree, it's, a, it's an incredible piece of uh, work. I mean, I, I was saying offline earlier, like you could take a still from any point in that movie and it would be a piece of, piece of artwork. You'd happily hang on your wall. I mean, it an immersive exhausting experience as well now and i mean exhausting in a good way like it was just yeah it, i was in i mean it's a long film and it didn't feel like a long film it was just uh, it was it was it was gripping enough that kept you in there you know and as you pointed out as well the just the design you know like was just it was really well thought out and you know the the music score like we said is just the mm -hmm. whole thing just came together felt seamless you mentioned character design so again, thinking about, you know, cinema and film, TV, commercials, whatever. You're not allowed to mention Smog the Dragon, by the way, is what's the best <laughs> piece of character design that you've ever seen? What's the, what's, what's the, what's a great, incredible piece of character design that you've put out there? Yeah, I think, you know, and to me, it's, it's anything that really gets released by Pixar. You know, when yeah. I, whenever I see a, a new film that comes out by them, you know, they always they always manage to take it to that next level, you know, and it's like, yeah. whether it's just technically or what, you know, character design, it's just, it is always superb, you know, 
I've, I don't think I've ever been let down by one Pixar film ever. Yeah, question is it? No, I know. I'm just thinking if I've ever been let down by a Pixar character. Because yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? So I was never yeah. a massive fan of the Cars movies, and then I had, then I became a dad, and then yeah. my son got obsessed with Cars, and now I'm all over. I mean, I think I might shed a few tears in one of them. Like, I, like most Pixar films, I get emotional anyway. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I think was, yeah, the I last think one right. I think you know was there was Soul, you know, which again was just you know they're, they're very oh, different. And just, we talk a lot about the story and, and visual effects, Simon, and you know. I think, you know, they nailed the story. The story is always paramount. And then, you know, character design and development within that story. And then there's obviously the, the lighting and the, the color palette. And they just, oh, they always yeah. have the perfect combination. Amazing, amazing. Well, I'll take that. I'll take that. That's a great answer. So we're getting into the, the career stuff now. So let's start with uh, the best piece of advice you've ever received. The five P's, Simon, and you'll laugh at this, mate. Five P's. <laughs> Preparation right. prevents piss poor performance <laughs> is one it. of them. And, and the second bit of advice, which I always, you know, as a, as a, I guess as a, as a startup or as somebody that's actually starting their own company, a good friend of mine told me, he said, think big, start small, scale fast, which I always, you know, which I always fall back on. I always think about, you know, what stage we're at, you know, with, it, with whether it's not, not, you know, may not generally mean the whole company, but there might mm. be moments where you've got, like like we were talking about before, these different initiatives, you know, small, you know, but think big and scale fast. Small, think big, scale fast. So this is the question we call the imposter syndrome question. And the question is, have you ever felt out of your depth? I mean, you touched on it earlier in the, uh, the early days. Have you ever felt out of your depth or that you were, faking it till you make it yeah i mean pretty much every job i think pretty much every job that you get you always have that seed of doubt that you're good enough you know i do quite a bit of reading but there's that train of thought like where you've got one foot in chaos and one foot foot and sort of you know in an organized brain right and there's some people that you know don't like to put their foot in chaos and and they that can hold them back from achieving great things i think there is an element of pushing yourself and challenging yourself where you do feel like you're out of that comfort zone. And I think this, what we call the imposter syndrome is, is really just you challenging yourself and trying to take, you know, improve your, your, you know, yourself. And I think, yeah, every job that I go to, I always think that I'm either not good enough, but I know that through, you know, again, this is through experience. Yeah. And if you're a good person, everything will pan out. You always have that little bird on your shoulder saying that you're, you probably don't belong here, but every job yeah. I've had. I don't know if you've ever felt like that, Simon. Yeah, all the right? time. I like your take on, you know, it's about challenging yourself and we should always be trying to, you know, be better at what we do and, and, and hone our craft. But yeah, everybody I know seems to suffer from it. Yeah. I think it's not an yeah. affliction, is it? It's just yeah. about pushing yourself out of your comfort zone all the time. And, and imposter syndrome is going to be part of that. It's going to be it's part of the package. But you wonder where that comes from, right? Is that something that's installed on us? Or is it yeah. what is it something that develop, develops with it? It's, it's quite an interesting um, psychological barrier sometimes for a lot of people. And, and how do you deal with that? And I think, you know, like for me, when I go back to what those three words that you asked me at the start, where I said I was shy, I was yeah. naive, like I couldn't, as a boy, like I couldn't actually, was so shy, I couldn't look at people in the eyes, you know, like without turning red, I was, you know, I just get really embarrassed very quickly. So, you know, to be able to do, you know, 
things now where I, you know, like, like we did in, in Belgrade where we got up yeah. on stage and do, do big presentations, right? That took a long time. But again, yeah. I had, you know, that's pushing myself to try and overcome that fear. And, you know, I think you, you know, as much, you can, you can do it. There's, there's, a, there's, a bigger, there's, a bigger, there's a bigger brain in there saying that you can do it than that little negative one, you know? Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I mean, I I, suffered, I was very introverted growing up as well. Complete, that completely resonates with me. And I fell into this life of uh, learning, development, presentations, standing up in front of large groups of people. And I did it on purpose to, right. to just develop. And yeah. when, I, when I do psychometric tests now and, and stuff, I come out as extroverted and I'm not, I still am not. Yeah. I'm doing this kind of yeah. thing, even hosting podcasts, like I'm, you know, it would be an unnatural thing you know, yeah. 30, 40 years ago when I was growing up. I, re I remember the first time that I pushed myself hard and that was like from that, from that, you know, from those early days of cooking. So, you know, I got into a good hotel, I got an apprenticeship, you know, I was pushing, pushing. And then, you know, from that, they actually entered me into like live cooking shows, you know, where you're up on stage and you have to get up there and yeah, wow. do that whole MasterChef thing, right? So as a kid, you know, learning my craft, that getting up on stage and I remember I was so terrified in the backstage getting ready for that, that I just, for me, you know, as you could imagine, it was like one of the most terrifying experiences that I, that I ever had as a kid. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Chefing on stage, that's gotta be, that's gotta be missed. Bad enough in the, in the Dangerous kitchens, things right? happening there, you know? <laughs> yeah. Knives and flame and yeah. Oh, crikey. Yeah. That is a good, a good grounding. But yeah, I love what you said about, you know, just being a nice person as well. Like I think the idea of just, you know, the classic advice of, you know, work hard and be nice to people, I think is, because there's a lot of people that I imagine don't suffer from imposter syndrome and they're probably a bit too, maybe there's some ego involved there, I don't know. But uh, yeah, just just staying humble, I think, is a big one. Absolutely, yeah. So if you could go back in time, so there's lots of hypothetical questions here. We've done aliens, now we're, going, now we're doing time travel. What advice would you give to your teenage self if you could go back in time? Yeah, I think... I think if I look back, you know, and it's a, you know, this, you know, that's a good question because I think there's, if there was anything, because I think, you know, when I look at my journey, I've, I've been pretty, you know, I look back and I'm pretty proud of like what I've done, what I've achieved. Again, I think, you know, that I could be pushing harder and you could be, you know, doing a lot more. There's, you know, but if I was to look back, I think I'd be telling myself, you know, not to, not to sweat over the small things, over the details, you know, mm. I think sometimes when, particularly when you were starting out in things like visual effects and these careers, we get so panicky and nervy about doing the right thing that it can cause stress. You can be guilty of working long hours to try and compensate for your, again, if we go back to our brain about uh, what we think are deficiencies and, and probably, you know, performance. I think this can put a lot of, you might not be aware of it, but that stress does build up over time. And I think, you know, when I look back now, you know, I was definitely guilty of that, you know, particularly in, but I knew how to manage that. Again, if I go back to the kitchens, working in those high stress environments where there's so many things going on and having to multitask, I was able to manage that from a pretty early age. And, you know, taking that into, into visual effects, I knew what my limitations were and I knew how to control that. But I think a lot of people are guilty of, of just overdoing it. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's, that's definitely good advice. I wish I'd got that advice when I was a young, a young lad starting out as well. I mean, similar question, but, you know, is there anything you wish you'd known when you were starting out in the industry? Anything you wish you'd kind of, and it's, I'm not thinking like Matrix style, like, you know, I know, yeah. I know Maya, you know, <laughs> put yourself in. 
I think, you know, that, that would be that it never gets easy, never gets yeah. any easier, right? Particularly <laughs> in visual effects. And I think, you know, you know, like we mentioned at the start of the show was that, you know, we sit in quite a nice sweet spot when it comes to training. We're not at the front line where, we're, you know, or anymore, at least um, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, meeting deadlines and those, those, those types of pressures. But I think, um, yeah, I just, you know, back then, I think you always think, oh, I'm going to get to a level where I'm going to be so good that I'm going to know it all and life's going to get easier. Yeah. I think that there's always challenges as you move up and progress through the various various job titles. And even when you get to a VFX supervisor, there's another whole lot of pressure that comes with those types of roles as well that change. So you mm-hmm. never stop learning. I think that's that would be the one thing that I wish I'd known, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, that definitely definitely keeps me in my line of work is the, uh, the right. continuous learning journey. Yeah, definitely. Holy moly. Big time. So going back to, we're going to talk about shows quickly again, you know, or time in your career. And this can include anything from the, the milk run to chefing as well. But, you know, what show or time in your career did you learn the most? What was the biggest learning moment for you to date? Yeah. You know, I think, you know, and I mentioned that before about Animal Logic working in that TVC mm. division, you know, that was when I sort of, I think I learned the most. But when I think back to to when, you know, I really made a conscious decision to become a texture artist and specialize in a discipline. Because when I was in TVC, you know, that team was made up of generalists, right? So again, if we go back to the learning as a generalist, you know, you're expected to know a lot of everything. And it can be, and, and some people thrive on that sort of, I guess, that sort of environment where, you know, they know a bit of everything. But when I, when I realized that actually texturing was the closest thing that came to traditional painting and that medium that I really loved, but in a, in a 2D, in a, you know, in a digital format, that was for me the moment that I went, that was my big aha moment when I was like, this yeah. is what I want I mean, to do. Yeah. And when I was able to focus solely on just the texturing discipline, then that was, that, that was a game changer for me. Yeah, yeah, that and moment that, when you truly specialize, yeah. Yeah, and that happened when I was, that didn't happen until I went to, to Canada after I left sort of Animal Logic and went across to, to Canada to work on a show there. Cool, thanks, Alwyn. So we're going to go, we've got the final three questions and they're kind of the big three really in many ways because they're, they're, we're, we're getting into, you know, what changes and, and advice, the meaty, the meaty three. And uh, the next one, the meaty three, yeah, that's a good, uh, it's a good uh, yeah, it speaks to my lawyers. What would you change about the visual effects animation industry, if anything? Magic wand. Yeah, I think and I think this is, you know, what you're this is your this is your world and, and my world is I think the training really needs to change, mm. Simon. I think, you know, when we look at it for, at different organizations, some do it better than others, but where everyone's doing it in their own silos and it's really it doesn't help the industry as a whole, I think, you know, and it's hard because a lot of studios work in their own, in their own certain way and have their own proprietary software. So they are very specialized in the way that they work. But I think, you know, there's a, there's still that disconnect. And when I think about to my time in London, you know, the reason why we started the rookies was really that disconnect between students coming out of training and entering into industry. And I think all the stuff that you're doing with VFX, Access VFX, in terms of bringing that the mentors and the industry closer to students is, you know, that is, makes a huge difference. And when we see the schools, you know, with our global school rankings, when we look through those lists, 
the schools that rank really highly are the ones that have very close industry ties and there'll be generally you know industry experts that are part of the school you know makeup and i think you know there's there's still a lot of i think there's still a lot of room to be to be worked on in that training space you know which is you know which is what we're we're trying to do you know yeah no, it's um, definitely it feels like the long game doesn't it i mean it's similar conversations we've been having over the years isn't it it's that kind of gap between education and industry and and then pre yeah. preparing and i know that's a lot of the work you're doing with the rookies is it speaks to that and i think you know actually my second there's a few there's a few changes so training being one of them and then you know what what i mentioned before we jumped on the so the show was what we're developing out which is the the certified digital artist initiative and really what that is is when you look at students that come through training and not even students, these can be self-taught artists as well. And it can be anybody that's really learned the craft however way they want. So I'm not going to just say, you know, students that are at a sort of higher education level. But what, what we're setting up is this idea of passing the bar. So like I mentioned, when a lawyer studies law, for example, they'll go to university, they'll study for four years, they come out and then they have to pass the bar to say, actually, yes, we are qualified. Yes, we do have the skills to be able to practice law. So Certified Digital Artist is really working with all our industry partners to collect information about what it would mean for me, you know, as a, if I wanted to get into visual effects as a text artist, what are the core competencies that studios want to see? I've got to go, you know, prove that I understand UVs, I understand color space, I know that I can quality control, you know, 3D models, I can, you know, lay out, you know, UVs properly. All, all these things that go into making up an entry-level junior position texture artist. At the moment, you know, what we have are sort of job descriptions, and it'd be good if you knew this. But mm. when students come out, they don't really understand what industry are looking for. So this is industry-driven. It's data from the industry. We're cross-referencing all this data to come out with the core competencies. So this is certified digital artists that we're going to be releasing in February of next year. And this is Brilliant. going to be a place where students can come to and self-certify themselves. So they can come through and go, okay, I'm, I'm interested in being a modeling artist in visual effects. Here are you know, the top 10 thing, core competencies that I need to show to get certified. Once they've been certified, a company like you know, you know, any, any post-production studio will recognize that certification and go, okay, you've already proven all these things. I want to talk to you. It's only really the first stage of, of that journey of getting into the industry Amazing. as well, right? So, so that's um, nailing the craft piece, isn't it? Like it's, it's almost the first interviews done, isn't it? You can just focus exactly. on the individual and, you know, it goes back to the, the, the human part of our industry, isn't it? You know, you get the craft nailed. Now it's about what do you like to work with? How are you going to be with clients? How are you going to be with directors? So that's, know, on, that's on set. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So that, that for us is the second phase of certification. So you know, after that, after you've proved your core competencies, then it's you know uploading you of you know you answering a question, you know, and and you can decipher a lot from one you know from one question and somebody answering it, the way they present themselves, the way they've prepared themselves, the way you know just, there's a lot of things that you yeah. can take away from that little one question video interview type thing. So there's yeah. you know we're trying to just really again help students to better prepare themselves to get into the industry. You know, at the moment, it's, it's the wild west. You've got students yeah. coming out of Australia here that have graduated, students coming out that are based in France or Europe, 
that are, you know, saying that they're supposed to be at the same level, but very, very different. You know, there's no benchmark. There's no standardization. So, yeah, this is something that we're really, really excited about. And it's also the blueprint for schools to go, okay, cool. What's industry wanting right now? Oh, yes, look right at that. Now. Actually teaching this software and they're wanting these schools. And it's also for the people that are thinking about getting going, well, actually, you know, I looked at this school, but they're not teaching these five things. Like, you know, what's going on here? Fantastic. Brilliant. That's February 2022, right? That's, that's yeah. exciting. Brilliant. Yeah. Right. You heard it here first. Well, maybe. You heard it here first. Exclusive. <laughs> exclusive. I love an exclusive. I'll take it. Okay. So final two questions. We've got the first one is the industry advice question. So one thing we can do as a step towards a more inclusive and diverse industry. I think education, training, all the stuff that we're, you know, that we're heavily involved in, I think it's got to go earlier and really Agreed. awareness at that level. So, I mean, as you know, there's a lot of, a lot of work to be done at that sort of high school, you know, earlier level. But I think, you know, that's where we're focusing on with our Kickstarter initiative. And the other area that I could see, you know, that could really help open things up is, is cloud-based software and obviously being able to, you know, render off the, off the cloud, right? So that people that are, are less, you know, likely to be able to run software on, on, you know, hardware have access to this technology without having high-spec machines and being yeah. able to... Just, a, just, just an access thing for, for the less privileged people and giving them opportunities to get into these creative industries, but it's not based off the hardware or software. No, it's, it's planting those seeds super early, isn't it? I mean, the, the challenge we've all come across is the, the lack of awareness of the industry, you know, that it yeah. actually exists, that you can work on that show or that film or that game or, you know. Yeah, and, it's, it's also, and it also goes deeper than that when you think about, you know, the parents. The parents, there's, there's still this preconceived notion that there are no career opportunities in, in no, visual, you know, in, in the creatives, right? Which we know are now, it's very lucrative in some of these careers and you can actually have an amazing career, but it's educating parents just as much as it is, you know, the early adopters. So, yeah, we've got a lot of work to do there. And I think, you know, like I mentioned at the start of the show, we've... We're launching this kickstart initiative and really focusing on those high school students and, and younger years to be able to think start thinking about you know entrepreneurship creative mm. thinking about diversity about working with different cultures about you know how to get into these types of careers what are those career pathways let's talk to people that have actually successfully gone through and ended up at pixar and at frame store and at epic games and places like this how did they do it, you know, not stumbling into it later on, you know, oh, mm. let's go to this, this, let's go to this visual effects school because, because yeah. that's what I just found, you know what I mean? Brilliant. That's, that's so, so true. So we're, we're going for a big finish. I went, we're going for the career advice question. And it literally is your one nugget advice for anyone trying to get into the industry. So your juicy golden nugget of careers advice. What have you got? If I look at where we are right now, and, you know, like I alluded to earlier on, when I first got into visual effects, there was limited opportunities. It was really in its infancy. Right now, there is a tidal wave of opportunity for young people getting into this industry. You know, we've, I'm sure you've heard about metaverse and all the yeah. sort of the buzzwords that are going on. We've got stream, you know, we're talking about Arcane, which is online streaming platforms. We're talking about virtual product. We're talking about so many areas. And this is just, you know, we're not even looking at other industries. You know, from my 
from my perspective, I can see, you know, virtual fashion happening. So there's a there's a big shift in in retail right now, you know, to do with sustainability and sample wastage, where they're actually adopting 3D pipelines to do digital fashion. And, and you know, there's obviously NFT stuff. So right now, if you're getting into these types of creative careers, then uh, what my advice would be is, you know, actually look outside of what you think. So what I mean by that is visual effects and games, it's the icing on the cake and it might seem very glamorous and it might be, you know, amazing to get your name up there on the big screen and be part of this production. But there are so many other opportunities out there right now that work in this space that are, have even better opportunities that you might not know about that are better work conditions, better environment, better pay, better everything, right? So keep your eyes open and look for opportunities and don't be scared. There's a plethora of opportunity and right. yeah, avenues you can go down. And yeah, I mean, it's even when I started out in VFX, it was just like, it literally, it was 2D, 3D production, you know, and then you have emerging tech came through and now it's blown up like this. Right. so many so many so many disciplines to to get involved with so yeah you think how fast that's gone in the last five it's, years right it's amazing it's incredible it's when you crazy. think about it and uh yeah and it just everything goes back to what you're saying about how everything's in flux all the time you know the the tech we work on you know what's the du jour piece of tech right now right and then yeah. you know and yeah. being willing to flex again when the next amazing piece exactly. of tech comes in you know but, and, and you're learning again aren't you it's the constant right so i was going to say it comes back that never you never stop learning it's it's all about content creation right so whatever the whatever the tool set is that is surrounding that like you will always be a valuable asset if you know how to create content in that sort of 3d world Thank you, Owen. I'm going to close the vault now. I should have, I should have a special <laughs> effects, like you know, some kind of creek where we close the vault. But yeah, that's yeah, all of the questions, man. Thank you. Mate, I tell you what, it's, it's been a pleasure. And I, I hope you, I hope the viewers got a lot of good advice out of that. And, you know, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. So if anybody wanted to reach out and ask any further questions, then feel free to do so. Simon, I hope, you know, in the not too distant future, mate, we can share you know, a couple of shots of Rikia. Is it Rikia? <laughs> Rikia and Sir oh, Rikia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Shout out to CJ Belgrade for sure. Yeah. Thank you so much. No worries, Alwyn. Uh, so before we finish, is, I know you've touched on the Kickstarter program. You've touched on uh, the Rookie Awards, touched on the, the CDA initiative. Anything you want to plug, anything else? How can people get involved with the Rookies? Yeah. Yeah, I think actually it's a good question. You know, when people look at the Rookies, it's it's really, you know, we sort of position ourselves. It's the art station before you go to art station. We find that a lot of student, students that create portfolios on art station, you know, get overwhelmed just with the, the amazing content that's on there. So really it's a safe place. And, you know, there's obviously no industry professionals that are allowed to be creating a portfolio on there. So it's a safe place to actually, you know, be with your tribe or your community and with people around the world. And how to get how to get involved look at next year's rookie awards you know we open march the 7th it's always the same dates every year we create career opportunities through the rookie awards we have a really active discord channel we just invited 60 industry professionals onto our discord channel the other week where it's a, you know they're engaging giving feedback doing live streams if you just want to get help or be surrounded by like-minded students that the same level as you then the rookies platform is, is really for you and yeah thanks i think you know that's just 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 get involved and i think rookie awards next year it's not about winning you know you get a lot of students each year going 
hey, you know, my work's not good enough or I know I'm not going to work. It's not about that. It's about starting. It's about building your confidence. It's all the stuff that we've talked about on this podcast. It's about pushing yourself, challenging yourself, taking you, putting that one foot into a bit of challenge, you know. So Rookie Awards 2022, get involved. Amazing. What a great place to leave it, Owen. But uh, no, thank you for dialing in and obviously giving up a good chunk of your evening over there in Adelaide, uh, Owen. So thank you so much. And again, hope to bump into you in person some date in the future. Who knows? Hopefully, Move back mate. in Belgrade. Hopefully. Pass on all my love to people in London and in Belgrade, we mate, and we'll, we'll chat soon. Well, that was episode three, season two of the Access VFX podcast. We very much hope you enjoyed it. What an enjoyable conversation we had with Alwyn. Before you go, a couple of things. Please go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, subscribe or leave us a review if you fancy it. And most importantly, please get involved with our Foundry-sponsored global e-mentoring programme. If you're in the UK, US, Canada, Australia or New Zealand, you can sign up for free to get an industry mentor or be a mentor to folks aspiring or just getting started in visual effects animation or games. Go to www.accessvfx.org forward slash mentors and go and change someone's life. Thank you to Alwyn again for being a brilliant guest. Thanks to Tom Box for producing it and for the graphics. And most importantly, thanks to you for listening. Come join me next week where we speak to another wonderful guest. We'll see you then. I'm off to watch Arcane. Thanks for the reco, Alwyn. Mm-hmm.